The Competitive 40K Network presents Art of War. Art of War. Strategy and tactics. Discussions with the best players on the planet. Now your host, Nick Nanavati. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Art of War podcast. This week takes us all the way out to Denver for the Rocky Top Rumble. It was a brutal tournament. It was won by someone playing an army equally as brutal, maybe even a little cunning. We have Michael Mann here, Orc Warboss aficionado, winner of the Rocky Top Rumble, member of Team Denver Mountain Trolls. Michael, how are you doing? I'm doing really well today, Nick. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for coming on. It's been a while since we've had some orky goodness on the channel. That's great. That's right. They've been in a, a little weird spot. So in today's episode, we are going to unpack Michael as a player. We're going to learn about his philosophy about the game, how he came to winning the Rocky Top Rumble, how he views list building, and his general unorthodox, generally unorthodox approach to orcs. Then in part two, we're going to really unpack the list he actually took to the event, how it works, the strategies, the tactics, the specific warlord trait relic combinations, the fact that there are no kill rigs in this army whatsoever, and really break down tactically how he won all of his games. So if you're looking to get better at Warhammer, learn the processes, strap on in everybody. It's going to be an awesome ride. Michael, let's get on into it. All right, let's do it. Talk to me about you. I don't know much about you as a, as a player about 40k. How'd you get into the game? Sure. So I got in near like the middle of COVID, right? So I've only been playing about a year and a half. And the last year was basically like my start on the tournament scene i played like a bunch of different armies i started off with Drakari when they were super busted um i just thought raiders were really cool so that's why i got them and then i got into orcs after that and that's kind of the army i've i've mostly stuck with uh since then so but getting into warhammer during covid's a bit of a weird time to get into it and then winning a super major within only a really a year of playing is very impressive so like how did you get into the game during COVID. What was that like? Yeah, sure. So I played with like my brother at home. I grew up playing the Warhammer video games and I had no I had no idea that Warhammer was like a tabletop game too. I just played uh, Dawn of War. And then over COVID, I found out that it was an actual tabletop game. So I like played with my brother at home. I lived in North Carolina at the time. Um, and then when I moved out to Denver, I met the Denver Fight Club. Um, and that's kind of where I got I really learned how to play the game um, for a good while. Yeah, that's awesome. So you basically have you found a local group of guys in Denver, and they they pretty much helped you get better at the game. That's exactly right. Yeah, it just went off. It went off from there. I lost every game for like four months, and then one day I just kind of stopped losing. Yeah, you know that's not uh, that's that's pretty much how everyone's success story starts, right? You lose a lot, play people who are better than you, they can get better over time. Yeah, it's it's really cool. It's a really great group, and a lot of great uh, a lot of great guys come up um, in the group that way. So it's really it's a really great basis to have. Awesome. So you went from orcs to or Jukari to orcs. You never really played any of those like notably tough armies, I guess. Um, how would you categorize your approach to the game? Yeah, so it definitely kind of depends on the list a lot. So for Jukari, I loved Thick City. Like Thick City was my favorite list to play in Jukari. Are we talking like nine Talos, Thick City? Yeah, so I played six Chronos, six Talos, however many grotesque, and I did that for a good while. So I loved Thick City as a list. I really like big, beefy units that kind of run around the board. Um, and then Coteries of the Homunculi was another really good list I enjoyed. Um, it was just like 
70 racks, 18 grotesque. Um, and I did really well in events with that as well. And then I kind of came back to orcs. Like I played orcs at the start of the year, played coteries, and then went back to orcs. It's just the tough infantry. I love infantry and I love tough infantry. Board control is really important to me. I want an army that's going to be able to stand on objectives and maybe sometimes still be there on the next turn. So that's kind of, I never really loved the, say the cut, the cult and witches and cabal side of Drakari as much. That's interesting. Usually you find Drakari players or competitive players in general switch over to that coven side when it's in flavor, right? Like in the, if they, they happen to be very good at the time in the meta, then everyone's a like, talus player. But very few people are like, I really like the Covens. I think that's pretty cool. Oh, I love Coven. Yeah, Coven is my favorite part of Jakari. So um, yeah. they're, 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 they're the cool stuff to me. It's interesting also, like as a play style, I would say you're basically valuing defense and taking that like medium toughness body as many times as you can and really leveraging that inefficiency of like the basic bolter and things like that. In ninth edition, though, at least the way the game has progressed, I feel like the offense to defense ratio is really skewed. When you put stuff out in the open, it's just going to die. And to me, that means you really don't get rewarded as a player for leaning into the defense aspects of the game, instead focusing on like trading and speed and things like that and alpha strike potential. Do you? I mean, clearly you've had success playing your defensive style. So how how do you find that in the game we play today? Yeah, so how I kind of look at it is, so I think with both Orcs um, and and Drakari, um, it's been a while since I've been Drakari, but they, they still do enough damage. Like, I need enough melee punch. I hate guns. I really don't care about guns that much. I don't really want to shoot that hard. I just want to get in your face, and I want to punch you until you're not there anymore. That's a language I can understand. Like, the game is so much more fun if you just remove the alpha strikes and the shooting. Yeah, 100%. So, for me, uh, I think the defensive play style really comes into when you look at the board state. You need to use your defensive units that can do enough damage to something to whittle it down to where you will survive on the next turn and then continue to be a presence on the board. Um, Orcs don't really fit that current style at the moment so that we can kind of get into that later. Um, They usually die pretty fast. I'm tabled pretty much every game. But for me, the defensive play style was always reactive, look for the mistake, and then capitalize on it by putting just an unkillable unit in their face. Interesting, yeah. So I also would classify myself as a really reactive player. And I try to look for the mistake and capitalize when with, with speed, basically. Like, oh, you made a mistake. I'm going to take my unit. It's fast enough to, to take advantage of your little micro misposition or whatever it might be and, you know, leverage that. If you have an unkillable unit or something, like, that's not really a concept, I guess, in, in today's 40K, unless you're playing like Iron Hand or uh, Deathwing Terminators or something like that. So. With orcs and Jukari, especially these armies are not regarded as the tougher kind in 40k. How do you create these situations where your opponent isn't able to just kill you in response? Yeah, a lot of the times it's it's kind of the math. Um, funny enough, you look so for orcs, for instance, like the 30 storm boys are kind of like my key piece. I like to say. Um, you just use them to dive bomb whatever's really good at killing your army. Um, Oftentimes, there are specific units or specific models that are going to be something that can clear the horde or do enough damage or do really big damage to defensive units. Um, I think it's always good to remove them when you get the chance. Now, the hard part of that is sometimes you run into skew lists such as the uh, like Melta spam or Thunderhammer spam right now. The damage is very, very high, so it can be a lot harder to do that. Um, 
I think, yeah, it's just very matchup and map dependent and using your terrain, right? Uh, like, I, I love Math Hammer, so I love doing the math on units. I love understanding what I can kill and what my opponent can kill out of me, and I, I honestly make a lot of decisions based off that. I think that's that's a interesting telltale sign as a player, because I ask this, the same line of question like everyone we have on the podcast, and some players are hard into the mathematics where it guides all their decision processes and others are very go-by-the-flow and feely, and, and both players see success, so I don't know if there's a right answer to it. One of the things that you said that struck out to me, though, is you're, you lean into your 30-store boys, and we'll definitely get to your orc list and the ins and outs of how it all works, but you use them to basically scalpel-remove the things that are going to then kill your army in future turns, much like how you take your in a tank army, you focus on their anti-tank, and then your remaining tanks are just too much for them to deal with. So I like how you approach it from like a chess perspective almost, where it's like kill the things that matter and focus on those as your objective. How do you go about identifying that and lining those things up? Yeah, so the a lot of that goes into my list construction and looking at the meta, for sure. Um, I, I always kind of plan for those top table games of what, am I, what profiles am I going to expect, what kind of bodies am I going to expect, and what does my army provide to answer those? So as long as I can find the unit that does the job, um, I'll use that as like the scalpel that you were kind of talking about. So I think that's really founded in list construction for me. It's making sure that I have the tools to make sure that I'm getting the targets I need to be dead. So I also would consider myself a toolbox style player. And the idea with that is you bring a bunch of different stuff in your army list and you leverage the individual differences to tailor your response very specifically for the situation you find yourself in. Because if, if ever you just bring the same data sheet, raw power over and over, you have a hammer and every problem is a nail, whereas a full toolbox can deal with it a lot more succinctly. When I look at the Orc Codex, I really see from the outsider looking in, especially the Goff sub-faction, just a hammer, right? Like the ultimate hammer. You put the Orcs in the tanks, they go wog, game's over, turn one, two-hour long charge phase, here we are. And you're just not doing that, it seems. Oh, yeah. I think orcs are such a toolbox army. Like, a lot of people love to complain about the internal balance of the book. Uh, how I kind of view out it, anything that punches is generally pretty balanced in the book. It's just like Morganauts and Gorkanauts that really suck. Um, and like Flash gets, they're terrible. But th all the stuff that punches has different jobs, different speeds, different like outputs of weapons. Um, and you just bring what works for you. And since your units are so cheap, you get to bring so many of those units. So you'll see when we get into my list later, I have a lot of different units in there that all have different jobs and different abilities. Um, and I think that really goes a long way. Right, right. So it, I think it's really interesting when you have a player come on and they take a codex that is historically done really well in a very traditional manner of call the walk charge people. And... Like we've had players like Sean Aiden on Ben Jurikon. They talked about how they run people over with the golf bandwagon. And you're doing the same thing, but totally like not running people over. Same thing like playing orcs, playing goths. So what is it about the orc army in general? And then how do you view 40k that lets you see the same codex and just kind of do it differently successfully? Yeah, so there's a couple different things. Uh, I think the big thing is the speed the orc codex has. It is crazy fast. Um, 
and it has tough bodies on it. Like that T5 is a really, really big checkpoint in the five up end of own from the wall. So I feel like I get enough defensive and reactive value out of it that I can put some things there. And sometimes it's going to come out on the other end and it'll still be alive and kind of be a big problem unit. As well as those big vehicles. Like I use one battle wagon. It's my kind of only big vehicle as like a tough defensive structure that I'm going to move forward. And you know, this is a really big launching point. It's, yeah, it's just tough and fast. That's the big thing. It's weight of dice, high strength, high speed, good defenses, great secondaries. As a player, I get to be, I get to scalpel remove like really important problem pieces for me. I get to score really well, and I get to control the primary really well um, as well for the planning and strategy part of it all. So I think orcs just kind of, I think they just do it all right now. I really do. So it's funny you say that because when. You started this whole thing off. You said you just detest the shooting phase. I can get behind that guns in general. So orcs, you know, they don't really are. They're not known as a shooting army except for those weird times that they are. And you don't seem to have too many guns going through your list unless I'm just missing it. So you say you have like this toolbox army and I get it in terms of speed. Orcs are ludicrously fast, fairly tough for what they are, hit pretty hard. But without like other tools like shooting, you're relatively, um, I guess so undurable. I, I'd How do you say my work list actually shoots kind of hard. So the bikers with this, because I call the speed wah too, as well with gas, it's the great wah. So each one of those bikers that I'm running the two five man bricks, it is 60 strength, five AP one for one shots at nine inches or 40 at 18 at 18 to 18 inches strength five ap one for one and gaz has his little scream i mean he, it doesn't really shoot that hard and then the burner boys are just like vomit some flamer dice at them it's enough shooting that i'm going to be able to pick up at least a, a unit or two it's not a, an extreme amount of shooting but it's enough that i can remove problems that i normally wouldn't have to as well as maybe get through some phase caps on like a bloodthirster or something like that you know, that's a great point, actually. Just, like, there's a lot of hidden guns in your army, and I guess orcs have this in general, where their units just vomit dice, but, like, a unit of 10 flamer, burner boys, a unit of two units of five war bikers, that is a, a ton of shots. And you really find the average, which I guess is where your math background comes in a little bit, because you're rolling so many dice with it. Do you find it consistent, or is it just, like, you know, orcs shooting, let's hope for the best with it? Um, so whenever I can line up all these units up at the same time, I'd argue it's pretty consistent. The issue is comes in when I have one bike unit shooting at like one kind of tough unit. I'm, I'm generally not going to really do much, but in the games where I get to make a lot of the decisions on where the bikers go, sometimes I have to be reactive with them or where the burner boys go. If I can pour dice into something, it's a way to fire, and it'll be consistent enough. I have issues when my whole army is spread out, and one biker shooting one thing, and one biker shooting one thing. That's when it's not very reliable. Yeah, and that's the case with almost every army. You want that levels of redundancy and kind of support in case the first failure point misses. Speaking of which, there's like this whole element to orcs, which I think is part of why they don't consistently see top table finishes and tournament wins. But in recent history, they really have. Orcs stuck down two super majors this past weekend. We've seen orc players kind of go the distance. At least I had this preconceived notion about them in that they go second versus guns and the game is basically over. I'm, I'm talking about like Tau gun lines, Votan on low terrain, those kinds of things. 
So what do those tactics actually look like specifically? Because like I get that you can try to outplay people, but if you get blown up in your deployments on turn one, you have nothing to play with. Yeah, I, I want to say the most I usually lose is Gaz will take four wounds. I usually never expose the battle wagon, and, and if it's a matchup that I think it'll die no matter what, I'll reserve it. But I usually am very particular in my, deploy, my terrain deployment and my unit deployment to make sure the wagon doesn't die. Um, sometimes all 10 bikers just get picked up. So, but that's, that's generally about it. That's okay. Um, That's just like a part of playing orcs. I'm going to lose this key chunk of my army right here. Well, it's only, I mean, 10 bikes is only what 250 something points. I mean, that's not that bad. It's not that bad from a point perspective, but it's like a job, you know, like you lose like that element. It's certainly a job. I agree. Um, I, I think you just, a lot of us the secondaries, honestly, like if I make it nuked, but unless you kill maybe 1200 points of my army turn one, I'm still going to have lots of punching power left to come after you. That's the brutal part. <laughs> yeah. So with, with orcs in your secondary game, I mean, are you, do you feel like you lean into that to play a passive secondary game, get people to have to come to you a little bit, or do you just take secondaries in line with running straight at them, I suppose? So, Unless my opponent also has secondaries where they can do nothing, I will generally, I call it not playing in the game until they realize that I'm going to score a billion points unless they come over to my side of the board. Michael, you and, and I speak the same language with this game. <laughs> because they don't under, like, like, I often will take Warp Ritual, Green Tide, get the good bits. I I can do amazing on those secondaries. I don't have to play the game. And the moment you creep to my half of the board, I'm going to call the wah and I'm going to mulch anything that comes over here. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very defensive style. Like you start out with such a great secondary defensive game. And this goes back to what you said as a player, you're very reactive in general. So do you find like, I guess like what brings you to orcs? Let me me try to bring us to a line of questioning a little bit that way. Why do you play orcs? That's actually a really good question. So, um, you know, notably, I don't have any kill rigs in my list, but when I was learning 40k, I thought kill rigs were like the coolest thing ever. And I really just wanted to play with three kill rigs and run around the board with these big dumb rigs and see what I could do with them. Um, I loved Beast Nagas. Like, I played tons of Squig Hogs and Beast Naga Boys and Squigasaurs. Um, and as I kind of developed as an orc player, I slowly moved out of that stuff and moved into more of the older orc kits. I love how they look. I think orcs are ridiculous. Um, I think they look really cool. I've also always loved orcs and just like all fantasy games and Warhammer. Um, yeah, I just love the, how they look. Their play style is what's kept me hooked on them, though. Their play style, I think, is perfect for me. I can be aggressive and hit the gas when I have to, and I can be reactive when I want to. I think you would actually really enjoy Eldar if you gave it a whirl. You know, I've thought about that before. I have thought about that before. Um, and they're not I played tough. Nine Void. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think Harlequins would actually be a really good army for me. Yeah, right. I mean, they're right next to your Jukari love already. Yeah, they are. All right. So I think we've we've beaten around the bush quite a bit over here. Michael, why don't you just walk us through, um, I guess, the orc list that you ended up taking to the Rocky Top Rumble? Yeah, let's do that. So the most important one here is Gazgul Thraka because he shaped the rest of the list. Um, it was very important that he called the speed wall and the regular wall. Um, I did give him his Warlord trait because AP5 is awesome. Um, 
I brought Gaz because Dark Angels are very prevalent in the meta, and I really needed something that actually killed Terminators because not a lot of stuff on my list actually kills Terminators. And in those Tau, Iron Hands, Gunline matchups, I'm going to throw him up the board. He's going to take four wounds per turn, and you need to have answers to him before he gets to you. The Warboss on Warbike um, with a Brutal Bakunin and the Killer Claw. It's a pretty common staple you're seeing in Orc list at this point. He's super fast, does a ton of damage. And he also has really good synergy with the speed wah as well, when you don't have to advance him because he can put out some decent shots with those docket guns as well. Boss Zagstruck, I mean, he's zaggy. Like, he goes 18 inches. He has amazing damage profile. He's a perfect five-man marine killer. Dive bomb and make you score nothing on your primary for the turn. He's the uh, most obnoxious orc I've ever seen. Yeah, five up field of pain, T6. I mean, he just what does What is he? Why is he T6? <laughs> I, 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 yeah, every time I tell someone he's T6, they have, they don't even know how to react. They're like, what? Like, I'm like, yeah, man, he's just, that's what he is. I don't know what to tell you. That's how it feels. Uh, the knob on Smash the Squig, he was actually like a uh, last minute addition, like five minutes before list deadline. Um, I really wanted another choppy character. And uh, the Smash the Squig is so good for those charge mortals. He helps me deal with Abaddon specifically if I run into a CSM matchup or the Bloodthirster in some cases. How does that and, smash squig work? So, honestly, he just kind of wanders around the board. Oh, I, and, I just meant and, the rule for charge mortal. Oh, yeah, sure. So, when he charges, you roll five dice. Every four up, he takes a mortal wound. I gave him Headwap as Kill Choppa for his relic. So, wound rolls of six are also mortals at strength times two, AP three for two. Um, and then his Warlord trait, Might is Right, is just an extra attack and extra strength. I just, yeah, so he just I hits really, really hard for what he is. That's exactly right. And he has a pretty decent mortal wound output um, for his profile. And then the last HQ I have in my list is the Weird Boy. I really brought him for a Warp Ritual bot. Um, it's also nice that he can buff characters and different units. Notably, I did not take the jump. I actually hate the jump. I don't think it's a very good psychic power. I know people love it a lot and they think the mobility is really good. But the chances that it goes off and you make a charge are so low that I'm just I'm just not interested in gambling like that. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. I've, I actually like the jump as not for the war, the you know nine inch charge kind of thing, um, but just taking a unit and putting it somewhere else kind of late game. You ever miss that, or you think that's an unnecessary tool? I think it's a necessary tool for how I play my orcs specifically. Um, I think in the late game, I generally have done my job at that point in the game, and I don't really need to teleport anywhere else. Yeah, there's no late game for orcs. One of us is kind of dead. <laughs> yeah, generally I'm. Pretty much table by four or five. He's ritualing for the first three turns, usually anyway. So by the time the jump comes up, the game is pretty much over in my eyes. Yeah. All right, let's keep going through your list here. Yeah, troops. Uh, ten boys. Um, they just die for burner boys um, in the battle wagon. It's really just a blade of wounds. Um, that's obsec that can pour out. I use them a lot for the primary, of course. 30 Gretchen, 10 of them are obsec. 30 Gretchen's really, I think, the sweet spot. I mean, you can go to 40 if you really want to, but you need a backup unit in case something goes terribly wrong with your good bits, and they help you score green tide quite a bit. Uh, elites, the Burna Boys, these guys pump damage. Um, so when you, for 3 CP, 1 CP is just give them AP2 in combat, which is amazing. Um, and then for 2 CP, exploding 5s and 6s. If you get these guys next to Gaz, with the Zack Krumpus upgrade is also what they have points-wise, they do mortal wounds on wound rolls of 6, and it's not capped, so they can do they can pump a ton of mortals. I can put them into almost anything in the game, spend 3 CP, and it's just, it is dead. There is nothing they can do about it. 
That's what really useful tool to have. Is there like a durability that they don't crack like Terminator style? No, Terminators can be hard, but the mortal wounds is really what gets around that for them. The mortal wounds are kind of the the most important piece of that unit, certainly. I, I don't really bring them for the flamers. They're they're nice to have, but that, that mortal wounds in combat in AP2 is a, is a really good profile that I don't really have access to anywhere else. So the mortal wounds comes from the Zaz Krumpas. You'll have to forgive me. I have no idea what that yeah, is. Yeah, I think it's Zap Krumpas upgrade. That's exactly right. So I pay an extra two points per model, um, and then wound rolls of six in combat are mortals. Yeah, I guess it's just like you have a billion attacks. Yeah, so basically it's two base, and then they go to 30 uh, in the wall, and then I war path them to get them up to 40 attacks. Is Gaz an additional plus one attack? Uh, no, it's war path from the psychic power. Oh, okay. from. Yeah. Yep. Gaz is reroll all hits, so that's the other thing that can come into play with them for exploding fives and sixes. Rerolling everything with that Gaz is, is so good. And there's no cap to these mortals. It's just like, if you roll 56s, that's... that's- the end of that's that. exactly right no <laughs> cap on it i generally don't really roll above six i don't think i've ever rolled above six mortals but um it, it technically can do more damage than that if, if it happens sure sure um so i got out 15 commandos 110 man with uh all the upgrades so power claw breach ram uh, a bomb squig uh it's 10 commandos is just really good to have in situations for defensive deployments if you're going against an alpha strike army they can help you out quite a bit um, and two commandos will do a lot of damage. The five commandos there is for those missions where I can't really get the good bits turn one. I will scout deploy them on that objective so they can start getting the bits early for me while my Gretchen's surely uh, start making their way over to that deployment or that objective. Uh, fast attack. So this is the meat of the list, certainly. Um, Squid Hog Boys, I actually hate this unit. I only brought them so I could bring the Smash of Squig for free. Hold on, hold uh, on, hold on. I need to pause you right then and there. I'm sorry. But you hate the Squig Hog Boys? Every I, person ever loves the Squig Hog Boys. I think they're terrible, to be honest. I, I've i never gotten the value out of them that I've really wanted. I mean, I don't think they're, they're not that fast. They're really not that tough. T6 doesn't matter. They die to, like, anything in shooting. Um, their leadership is six. The amount of times that I've rolled a six on morale after losing one and then rolled a one or a two and I lose the whole unit is mind boggling. I, I yeah, don't even know I what to say to this. I'm so eager to get to like part them. two where I grill you on how you don't like Squid Cog Riders. <laughs> I just think they're a bad unit. Um, then the 30 Storm Boys, these guys are the powerhouse. Um, fly 18 inches on a one they on a four up they take a mortal wound when they advance if they go that fast it's 40 attacks i've got a power claw on every knob this is just enough to deal with most just units hiding on an objective and then they have 11 five up uh, interval wounds staring at them in the face um and there's going to be 30 of them so because generally all the storm boys go all at once depending on the map do you find uh, the, you just like zoom them all 18 from like safety to inside your opponent and that's just yeah. like, what happens Yep, that's exactly right. It happens pretty much every single game. Um, I generally don't call the Wah turn one. Uh, I usually use that first turn to stage all the Storm Boys, and then I will throw them up the board after that. And then they go back to do that scalpel job. So they'll kill or tag something that's going to be a big problem for me later. Mm-hmm. The War Bikers, um, this is the, the unit in the list I kind of get the most reaction out of. I think War Bikers are amazing. I think point for point, they're better than Hogs. Um, they're faster. They shoot really well. Um, their combat, obviously, is not nearly as good. They have minus one to hit and shooting, so they're a little more durable. 
uh, and they have a four up armor save, so they can eat vultures and stuff like that. Um, I love that they can either go kind of halfway up the board and shoot, or I can give up that shooting and send them 20 inches along with the Storm Boys um, for a really aggressive turn. Uh, I mean, 135 points for 16 wounds. I can go 20 inches or go 14 and shoot 60 shots at strength 5 AP 1 for 1. I, I don't think it gets better than that um, in the Orc Codex, honestly. I mean, you we have so much to unpack in part two. I'm so excited. War <laughs> hikers galore. <laughs> I, dude, I think I think they are amazing and amazing. I think you do not run them without Gaz, though. That is the important caveat. Gaz must be in the list for you to run war bikers. Well, it's not only that you have oddball units, I'll say, such as war bikers, which you know we can talk about their efficiency. I do think you're onto something here, but it's that you haven't even spammed them out. It's like you have like 15 commandos, 10 war bikers, a very reasonable number of everything besides storm boys. And I'm so curious to see how it all comes together. Hey, I'm really excited to talk about it. This is a, I think this is one of my favorite Oracles I've ever played. Oh, um, awesome. And then the last unit in the list is that battle wagon with a hard case, a Defrel, and a fortress on wheels. What does fortress on wheels do? That's the five up interval. Um, it's a custom job. Um, I can't shoot out of that battle wagon. It's not open top, so I'm never flaming out of it or anything like that. But that toughness eight, it's so important to have that it's okay to not shoot the burner boys out of it. Do you ever wish like it was a kill rig just from like the little bit more points? You get a lot more output. I don't think you get that much more output out of it, uh, in my opinion. Um, I really hate kill rigs right now. Uh, <laughs> so I no, I really don't ever wish it was a kill rig. I mean, it holds twenty. It can run over stuff with that death roller, and it's tougher. I, I I think it's really good. Wow, that's awesome. All right, everybody, we have a controversial hot takes orc list here that just came out of first place of the Rocky type Rocky Top Rumble. We've got. Battle wagon, solo battle wagon, no kill rigs. We've got war bikers, a disdain for squig hog riders. I'm excited to unpack it. Michael, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, of course. Of course, Nick. Yeah, appreciate it. Audience, this is where we're going to leave you off for part one. So if you've enjoyed meeting Michael and learning about his wacky work ideas, come join us in part two. That is on AOW40K.com for our patrons. You get access to our amazing Discord server with some of the world's best players at your fingertips. And we're going to get to part two where we're going to unpack exactly how this orc army finds a way to win against the entire field of very scary things in 40k right now. Thanks so much for watching, everybody, and we'll catch you later. Like what you just listened to? Check out Art of War Down Under and Art of War Unbroken on the competitive 40k network. The Art of War 40k.com.